You know, one thing we can all agree on is that change is difficult. The older you get, the harder change is. And it's interesting to me because people always want to go to the gym and work on themselves and change their hairstyle or shave their beard. I don't know if I'll be doing that soon. You might not recognize me. But there are a lot of people I know who are more comfortable with putting up with old problems than they are finding new solutions. See, people are open to change often as long as it doesn't inconvenience them, cost them anything, or it changes the way they do business or live their lives. And change, change is what brings us this morning to Acts chapter 15. The book of Acts, remember, is a story of the birth of the church. The church was literally born on fire. And God had sent His Holy Spirit on 120 believers. Peter had preached his first sermon on the day of Pentecost. 3,000 people got saved in one day. And the church was off to the races, as we tend to say. See, Jesus had promised that when the Holy Spirit came on the believers, they would be His witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. It was a breathtaking prediction and commandment. And Jesus was therefore asking His Jewish followers to take the gospel, which is the message of His death, burial, and resurrection to people of no religion and people of different religions. It was to be for all cultures, all races, and all generations. The gospel was taken everywhere and shared with everybody. We talked about this last week on Easter. The resurrection is for everyone. And so the gospel was taken everywhere and shared with everybody. The only thing is, the message of Christianity has the one word about God that everybody needs to hear. And that is the word grace. Every other religion in the world is all about keeping rules. Christianity is all about grace. And no wonder, contrary to all other religions, people were hearing for the first time that salvation is not earned by being good or doing your best, keeping the rules or practicing religion, but rather, salvation is a gift of grace gained by faith in Christ alone. And so this message had so inflamed one man that he became, spiritually speaking, a human torch. Formerly, the Jewish hitman who had made it his life's goal to stamp out the church and to kill the message of Jesus Christ. Met Christ on the Damascus Road, was miraculously converted, and now has become the most famous, passionate flamethrower in the church. He had just ended the first of three missionary journeys in which he had traveled over 1,400 miles by boat, by donkey, and by foot, going all over Asia Minor. And for the first time, he had taken the gospel not to Jews, but to Gentiles, because Christianity was for everybody. This was not a Jerusalem thing or a Jewish thing, but this was a God thing. So Paul was in the city of Antioch, which is a Gentile city about 300 miles north of Jerusalem. He settled there with another teacher named Barnabas, and together they were offering God's gift of grace, and these Gentiles were eagerly receiving it. 
Reports began to filter back into Jerusalem and all that these Gentiles were be- and that all the Gentiles were becoming Christians. But they weren't becoming Jewish. See, as a male, in order to become Jewish, you had to be circumcised. And they were being baptized, but not circumcised. Can you guess what happened? Hmm? Well, there arose in the church what I call a cold water committee. And as you know it, the greatest danger to fire is water. As we'll see here in a few, there were some people in the church that were ready to pour water on this fire that was spreading to the Gentiles. It was not that these Jewish believers did not want Gentiles in the church. They did. But they wanted them in the church under their terms. And they were raising some big questions. Questions like, can you have conversion without circumcision? Can you have faith in Christ without obeying the law of Moses? Can you believe in the Messiah without becoming a Jew? And the early church was about to answer once and for all the biggest question that deserved the biggest answer. How does a person enter into permanent relationship with God? Who should be accepted in the church? Who gets in? And what do you have to do to get in? What is required to become a member of God's family? Because the river of God's grace had overflowed its Jewish banks. And what is the church going to do? So with that intro, we come to Acts 15 where the most important business meeting in the history of the church is about to take place. The entire future of Christianity is at stake. And what we're going to find in this chapter are what I've called fire extinguishers. So I have a fire extinguisher with me here this morning. And as we go through this point, or these points, I should say, every time I mention them, I want you to think about this fire extinguisher. What, what does a fire extinguisher do? Just like shout it out. What does it do? It, it does exactly that. So this morning we'll be talking about some points. And I'll put it right here. Hopefully you can see it. If not, there's one over here to my right. Probably your left. Because we're going to be talking about fire extinguishers. You're going to see why churches fight. Why churches die at times, sadly. Why people don't go to church. Why people who used to go to church quit going to church. And why a lot of people who keep going to church don't enjoy it. Because nothing will kill the heart, the spirit, the mission, the passion, or the effectiveness of the church greater than fire extinguishers. So the first one is this, point one. Pushing tradition over truth. Acts 15 Verses 1 and 2. It should be up on the screen for you. If you brought your Bibles, you can also turn there. So certain people came down from Judea to Antioch and were teaching the believers, unless you were circumcised according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. This brought Paul and Barnabas into sharp dispute and debate with them. So Paul and Barnabas were appointed, along with some other believers, to go up to Jerusalem to see the apostles and elders about this question. What did you hear in those verses? Hmm? I heard the word custom. I heard the word tradition. 
See, for thousands of years, every Jewish male had been circumcised. And it was very plain and understood that it was the sign of the covenant between God and the Jewish people. It was a sacred tradition. But now you have uncircumcised Gentiles who are giving their lives to Christ, following Jesus in baptism, becoming members of the church without surgery. And these Jewish believers were saying, before you can be saved, you've got to have surgery. Or to put it mathematically, before we add you to the church, there is a part of you that must be subtracted. Can you imagine what that did to the new members class? Hmm? I mean, I spoke about new members class earlier. I promise you we don't have that in there. I can just imagine... The husband taking his wife and kids to this new church and he's wanting to join, but then he finds out what he's required to do and you can't blame him for saying something like this. Well, honey, I don't mind if you and the kids go here, but I really don't think this church is for me. It's just a cut above what I'm looking for. You know what? I don't even like their mission statement, saved. In the nick of time. How about that? I don't like it. Here in the 21st century, we're all sitting here thinking, that is unbelievable. You mean they did not want to let people into church just because they didn't look a certain way. Just because of something on the outside of them. That is exactly what they were saying. Before you come into the church, you need to look like we think you ought to look. You need to do things the way we want them done. In other words, they were saying, you've got to be just like us before you can become one of us. We've got to stop it. We've got to stop that, church. And if that has happened to you and you're sitting in here this morning, let me just say I am sorry that that has happened to you. I grew up in a time where Legalism was so heavy. It was such a burden in my life. But I invite you into relationship with Christ because there's freedom there, man. And so if that's happened, I am sorry that has happened to you. Don't let anyone put that yoke on you. Romans 5, 8 says, But God demonstrates His own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, God died for us. It didn't say this plus that equals salvation. It didn't say, well, you need to work on this area of your life or I need to fix this area of my life and I need to stop doing these things before I come to Christ. It says, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Romans ten thirteen: For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And before we take the early church to task, Let's be honest. We all tend to settle into our particular version of what Christianity ought to be at times. Or, at times, we tend to add our own requirements of how to have a relationship with God. Or our own requirements on how to be right with God. And in 99.99% of the time, it is because we push our tradition over truth. Things like, well, I just think the pastor ought to fill in the blank. I won't fill in the blank. Whatever you want to put there. That'll get me in trouble. Things like, how dare you have a church without a piano 
or an organ. How dare you dance in the church? You mean you don't sing Amazing Grace every Sunday at exactly 11.15 a.m.? <laughs> Understand, there's nothing wrong with tradition. Tradition can be a positive thing. Tradition can be a neutral thing. But tradition can be a negative thing. And here is how you will always know when tradition becomes a bad thing. It's a bad thing when we put tradition over truth of Scripture. Over truth of Scripture. So fire extinguisher number one, pushing tradition over truth. Let's continue. Point two, pushing rules over relationships. Verse three to five. The church sent them on their way, and as they traveled through Phoenicia and Samaria, they told how the Gentiles had been converted. This news made all the believers very glad. When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and elders, to whom they reported everything God had done through them. Then some of the believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees stood up and said, The Gentiles must be circumcised and required to keep the law of Moses. So Paul and Barnabas, realizing that this is a hill worth dying on, gets involved into, let's say, a very heated debate and discussion with these circumcisers. And they decide to take the whole question to the spiritual leadership in Jerusalem, where the apostles and elders are. I call it the Jerusalem showdown. If you watch WWE, it might be the super showdown. All right? The Jerusalem showdown. And so on the one side, you've got legalism and rules. On the other side, you've got grace and faith. One side is represented by the Pharisees. And if you read much of the New Testament, you will remember the Pharisees. Because everywhere Jesus went, the Pharisees went. The term Pharisee, that might jolt us. The term Pharisee technically refers to a first century group of religious leaders that were committed to a strict interpretation of the Mosaic Law, and they insisted on meticulous observance of that law. The term eventually became synonymous with legalism, and a more common term we'd probably use today is self-righteous. And believe me when I tell you that legalism and Phariseeism is alive and well in the church today. In the end, legalists want to rule through rules, and wheel their rules like weapons to divide the church. Legalists are people who like rules about rules. Legalists like the people who make the rules about the rules. Legalists like the people who enact the rules about the rules. And I can go on, but you get the idea. And this is exactly what is happening here. This group in the early church believed that Christianity was simply an extension of Judaism. After all, Jesus was Jewish, and they believed that not only must you be circumcised in order to be a Christian, but you had to keep the law. You had to become Jewish before you could become Christian. They had added to all of the law of Moses 613 other laws. They said that you had to obey in order to have a relationship with God and to be right with God. They thought the answer to everything was the law. And you know what? Even in society, you have legalists at times and you have some laws at times that you're like, man, why 
why is that even a law? Can I give you some examples? In Arkansas, you can't walk your cow after 1 p.m. on Sunday. This was enacted in 1882. But furthermore, no livestock of any kind can wear a bell within city limits after 9 p.m. I mean, go figure. You know? And so if your bestie is your bovine friend, you know, I recommend Little Rock. It's probably not a good place for you to go. In Iowa, it's punishable to sell fake butter as real butter. It's considered a misdemeanor that's punishable by up to 30 days in jail and a $625 fine. Like, seriously. I looked these up this past weekend. I was amazed some of the things I learned. Like, when you go through all the states, it's like, oh my gosh. But what about Washington State? In Washington State, don't kill Bigfoot. That's the law here. Don't kill Bigfoot. This was enacted in 1969, and whether you believe in Bigfoot or not, it doesn't matter. Bigfoot's life is protected for eternity in Skamania County. I know. Fitting name, maybe? I don't know. The law has since been updated recently to encompass any endangered species and states that anyone who slays Bigfoot will be imprisoned for a sentence of five years. Don't do it. Don't do it. But back to the early church. So essentially, this group of people were saying, if you want to be a Christian, you not only have to be circumcised, but you've got to keep all these laws and all these rules, and you've got to obey the law of Moses. Today, we've got people who, if they could, they would make it illegal to drink a cup of coffee in the worship center. They would make it illegal to sing anything except hymns. They really don't care about relationships. They just care about rules. They really don't care whether people come to church or not. As long as they come dressed the way they think, they ought to be dressed. Looking the way they think, they ought to look. Acting the way they think, they ought to act. And doing what they think, they ought to do. Friends, when tradition is pushed over truth, it becomes a fire extinguisher. When rules prevail over relationships, they become fire extinguishers. And please, we're talking about salvation here. Please don't leave here saying Pastor Jesse is not one for rules. If you know anything about me, man, I'll follow the rules. I'm just like a law-abiding, rule-abiding person. I just am. We're talking here about salvation. All right? Point three. Pushing the external over the internal. So Paul and Barnabas have shared incredible things that God had been doing with the Gentiles as they heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. They were the new kids on the block, so to speak. But there were two people that the early church needed to hear from. One was Peter and one was James. First, Peter speaks up. Verses 6 to 9. The apostles and elders met to consider this question. After much discussion, Peter got up and addressed them. Brothers, you know that some time ago, God made a choice among you that the Gentiles might hear from my lips the message of the gospel and believe. He's referring to Cornelius. If you've been tracking with us, uh, the Lord had sent him down to Cornelius. 
God, who knows the heart, showed that he accepted, accepted them by giving the Holy Spirit to them, just as he did to us. He did not discriminate between us and them, for he purified their hearts by faith. Now then, why do you try to test God by putting on the necks of Gentiles a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors have been able to bear? No, we believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved, just as they are. Peter understood that these believers were correct in their observation. They just weren't correct in their conclusion. They were saying things like, just look at these Gentiles. They don't always wash their hands before they eat, which the law says you should. When they do wash their hands, they don't eat right. They eat burgers with peanut butter. They put pineapple on pizza. They even go into the synagogues wearing t-shirts and jeans, and some of them even wear flip-flops. They may be clean, but they are not conformed to what we want. And the way we think it ought to be. See, up to that point, they were right in their observation in that the Gentiles indeed did things a bit different. But Peter simply points out the fatal flaw. You are focused on the external, not the internal. Listen to these verses again. God who knows the heart showed that he accepted them by giving the Holy Spirit to them just as he did to us. He did not discriminate between us and them, for he purified their hearts by faith. Do you see that phrase, God who knows the heart? In the Greek, there is a noun. And it's this word. I'm going to try to pronounce it. I might butcher it. Let's see. Cardinusthes. So cardio means heart. Nusthes means knowledge. And this is a word being used here in the text. It literally means knower of hearts. Therefore, God is a divine cardiologist. The difference is a human cardiologist knows about the heart, but God knows the heart. So literally, these Pharisees were missing the heart of the matter because Christianity is a matter of the heart. It's a matter of the heart. And so the reason why we have fire extinguishers in the church and in this story is because they don't see people the way God sees them. God sees you just the way you are. He loves you just the way you are. 1 Samuel 16.7 says, For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. So whenever anyone walks into a church, the only thing that matters to God is not the color of their skin or the kind of clothes that they wear, but the condition of their heart. Amen? Then Peter hits the point home, and he says, Now then, why do you try to test God by putting on the necks of Gentiles a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors have been able to bear? They can't even live up to it. That's what Peter is saying. You guys can't even live up to these things. He says, No, we believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved just as they are. When Peter made the statement, mouths flew open. Did he just say that? Eyes fell out of sockets. Because here's Peter, the number one Jew, and everyone probably expected him to say something like this. We believe that these Gentiles can be saved by grace through faith just like us. 
Instead, he turns it around and says, we believe that even we Jews can be saved by grace just like these Gentiles. Church, what matters is truth, not tradition. What matters is a relationship with God, not rules. And what matters is the internal, not, not the external. See, Peter knew if you subtracted from grace, it is no longer grace. And if you added to grace, it is no longer grace. Our job is not to subtract from grace or add to grace. Our job is to divide up grace and multiply it to everyone in the world among us so that they will receive the good news of the gospel. Amen? So all of this leads to the last and greatest fire extinguisher of all. Pushing preferences over people. So now we have James, the brother of Jesus, who stands up and does the most important thing. He simply goes to the Word of God. Like, we're talking about all these things. This might be a good place to start. You know? He basically says, it really doesn't matter what my opinion is or what your opinion is. It doesn't matter what I think or what you think. What matters is what does God's Word say? And so he quotes a prophecy from Amos where Amos predicted that Gentiles would come to God just like Jews and that they would all come the same way by simply calling on the name of the Lord. Then he wraps everything up in a neat little package, ties it up with a beautiful bow. Well, this is just my imagination going here. And does what I want to do right now. He applies the message. Verses 19 to 21. It says, It is my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. Instead, we should write to them, telling them to abstain from food polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, from the meat of strangled animals, and from blood. For the law of Moses has been preached in every city from the earliest times and is read in the synagogues on every Sabbath. I want us to take note of this phrase. We should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. Bottom line, in the way we do church and the way we live our Christian faith, we must be stepping stones to Christ, not fire extinguishers, not stumbling blocks. We need to get rid of all the fire extinguishers. This is the danger the early church faced and is the same danger the modern church faces today. They faced it back then. There will always be the gravitational pull toward making our church comfortable for church people. Over time, every church will have to fight the tendency to focus on themselves rather than others. Every church has to fight the natural tendency to focus on the people inside the church rather than the people outside the church. To focus on the people sitting in the seats rather than the people who are not. We love you. We just prayed for the deals. They've been such a huge part of life spring. We'll celebrate you. But we want to reach this community for Christ. Like, look beside you. We, we have space in here for more people. And so we'll care for you. We'll encourage you. We'll be there. But I want to encourage you to invite people to come to church with you. Invite people to come to church with you. Peter, James, and Paul said it loudly and clearly. We are going to be a church for unchurched people. And LifeSpring, I want us to be a church for unchurched people. Do you believe in that? Hmm? Yeah. 
We are not going to let petty preferences stand in the way of reaching people. And we are not going to add anything to God's Word. Remember this. Anyone who adds a plus sign to either the Son of God or the Word of God has their math wrong. We are not going to become the first church of the circumcision. That's not who we're going to be. It's time to get rid of our list of how people should dress, of how the church ought to be run, our personal tastes and our musical preferences. So how do you do that? Well, in the medical field, there's this thing called triage. And it is a system where you classify and prioritize patients on the basis of severity of their conditions, making sure that those with the most severe illness or critical injuries are given the fastest and the first treatment. Therefore, we need to practice theological triage. We need to decide which hills are worth dying on and which hills are not, which issues are worth fighting for and which issues are not. I guess I can best illustrate it with this story from one of my classes that I've been taking. It was on denominationalism. And it's a story of a man who on a trip walked up on a guy who was carrying a Bible. And please, I added some stuff to embellish the story, all right? So just track with me. He asked the man, are you a believer? And the man replied excitedly, yes. And the question started coming rapid fire. You know how that goes at times. He says, do you believe in the virgin birth? And he says, I sure do. Do you believe in the deity of Jesus? No doubt. Death of Christ on the cross. He died for everyone. Now this man is thinking to himself, is this man really a Christian like me? He continued, condition of the human race, sinners in need of grace, definition of grace, God doing for man what man can't do, return of Christ, visible and literal, the Bible inspired, inerrant and authoritative. The church, the body of Christ. Now the man is thinking, I'm getting excited about this guy. He continues, denomination, four-square, pre-millennial, post-trib, charismatic, King James only, communion every Sunday. (laughs) Now the man is pumped. That was his denomination. The man's eyes teared up. He had only one last question. Does your pastor preach from a wooden pulpit or a fiberglass? (laughs) The man said fiberglass. The man's eyes flared. He turned on his heels and simply said, heretic, and walked away. (laughs) We laugh at that, but honestly, simple issues like that. The pulpit. It's not wooden. Church, let's ensure our Christian faith is fuel for the fire, not water on the fire. Let's be people who embrace in the essentials unity, in non-essentials liberty, in all things charity. You know, when you keep reading in Acts 15, you'll see that the council in Jerusalem wrote a letter to the Gentile believers and said to them, he basically said this, I'll jump down to verse 24. It says, Greetings, we have heard that some went out from us without our authorization and disturbed you, troubling your minds by what they said. So we all agreed to choose some men and send them to you with our dear friends Barnabas and Paul. 
men who have risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, we are sending Judas and Silas to confirm by word of mouth that we are what we are writing. It seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us not to burden you with anything beyond the following requirements. I love that statement. It seemed good to the Holy Spirit. You are to abstain from food sacrificed to idols, from blood, from the meat of strangled animals, and from sexual immorality. You will do well to avoid these things. Farewell. So let me close with the following. First, grace is not what you do. This entire chapter deals with what was then and continues to be a stumbling block for the gospel. There are always persons, however well-meaning they may be, who would make salvation through Jesus Christ possible, plus something else. But salvation is through grace and grace alone. And anything added to that is untrue. This inner work is accomplished by the Holy Spirit and not the work of circumcision or any other good work which brings redemption. Second, grace is what Christ has done. Salvation is not what we can do, but what Christ has done. God purifies the heart by faith. So why put on a yoke of circumcision or any other external yoke for that matter or any other external requirement. We're saved through grace. When God looks at us, He doesn't see us. He sees Christ. We wear Him. We're covered by His blood, hidden in Him, covered with His robe of righteousness. He doesn't even remember our sins. He forgets them. Church, this is you. He blots out the record against us. He erases the writing of our offenses. He cleans the tape of evidence. He clears the computer. The horrible guilt of the past is covered with blood too precious to have ever been spilled in vain for us to put other requirements on it. Three, now do as he commands. These early Christians were given some requirements and ordinances that were to be kept. They were not to be kept in order to become Christians, but because they were Christians, they would keep them. Out of a heart of gratitude and a love for all that Christ has done for us, we naturally do good works when we live in the Spirit. The natural outpouring is good works. The letter of the law required holiness, but the Spirit is the one that imparts holiness today. That's within you. At this time, I'd like to invite the worship team to come up. And as we... Get ready to final close here. Jesus did not come to teach a new philosophy, church, but to bring a new life. He did not come with a new rule, but a new spirit and a new attitude. The law was an external matter. Grace is an internal matter, and it works by faith. Christ is now with you all the time. You are in a relationship with Him, the closest relationship a person can possibly have. Christ is inside you. Did you ever notice that Paul had Christ in him, whether he was in the pulpit or in jail? He doesn't stop when service ends today. He goes with you. 
He goes with you. So Christ is in us. We take Him with us. So when you leave today, outside these four walls, I encourage you, share the hope with others that you found in Him. Share that hope. Don't add anything else to it. Don't subtract anything either. Don't do that. You're justified by what He did on the cross. But sanctification, that is a process that will continue until we're caught up face to face with Him. And so keep doing that in your hearts and minds. Keep allowing Him to work on you. And because He's Lord of your life, you will submit and subject yourselves to the things, or surrender rather, because subject might sound like a strong word, surrender to the way of life He's calling you to. I've mentioned this before, but when you think about a light, if the light is far further away, you have some dirt on you, you might see some stuff here on your hands, but as you keep walking closer to that light, you're like, man, I have some stuff in my ears, in my beard, in my hair. That is what happens when we walk closer in our relationship with Christ. When we surrender, you walk closer to that light and He exposes the darkness Allow Him to do triage on you. Allow Him to do that. Would you stand with me? I'll pray as we get ready to go into this song. Father, we thank You for Your Word, God. And Lord, even as I've been preaching this morning and sharing, God, I I feel that there are people in this room who've experienced those kinds of hurts, in churches, God. Who have experienced those kinds of hurts in relationships in the church, Father. God, would you come in and apply your bomb that brings healing even in this moment. That there is freedom in you. That religion will limit us And we'll strive and be frustrated in our own strength to do it, God. But may we rely on the power of the Holy Spirit working in us and through us to do work on our hearts and in our lives, Father. And as we leave outside of these four walls, God, may we be reminded that we take your Holy Spirit with us. We take your presence with us. May those we come in contact with today and the rest of this week see your presence, your spirit shining through us, God. May we truly shine this little light of mine this week. In your name I pray. Amen. Amen.